what the original translation really is communicating there. Because we get the idea when a sparrow falls on the ground, it means when a sparrow dies. That's what I grew up believing. In the original Greek, it means every time a sparrow lights on the ground, takes off, and lights again. (laughs) And if you were raised in a rural community like I was, with lots of sparrows around, they're always hopping here and there and flying three feet and then four feet. God is literally saying that I'm, I'm watching the smallest elements in my creation. And I've got news for you, congregation. We are more than birds. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm a son of God. I'm made in his image and his likeness. And if he's watching out for the little things he made, how much more is he watching out for you and I? Oh, God is so incredibly good. But um, as Tony pointed out, we didn't lose a single cent of money. I don't know what ultimate ambitions that that uh, sometimes people have, but God protects us, and I'm glad. And uh, we have been thanked so much already just since the 730 service for our openness and transparency uh, in all of this. Our communication uh, to you uh, will always be the same. I've made a commitment that we're going to lead and pastor, and the board has, and all of us involved, the pastoral staff, with integrity and keep you informed. There won't be things swept under the rug that later become the elephant in the middle of the room that somebody should have addressed. I've been talking, though, and this, this does cut into my time, so I need to get into the Word of God. And I, I need to wrap this up in the next 35 or 40 minutes. I've been talking about the fact that there are problems that exist with our faith that we might not even realize are present. We might not even know what the contributing factors to them are. And we've been using as our our series, Kingdom Keys to an Abundant Life, that will produce much love, many blessings, and great favor. And what we've been sharing with you is that faith is perhaps the most dynamic of all of those keys that exist in the kingdom dimension. Everything is accessed by faith. Even the other keys, such as the power of the blood or the name, are in actuality accessed through faith. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the blood. There's power in so many things. But to access and tap into that reservoir of unlimited power requires faith. Now, having said that, our our text this this year, and we've been using as a foundational text for this whole year, is Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22, where God is telling us of the preeminence of his word. That we need to give attention to them and not let them depart from our eyes. For verse 22 says, they are health to those who find them. uh, Life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. And as we pointed out, the word health is the Hebrew word that literally means prescription or medication. God has a prescription in his word for every single thing you need. This book is complete. God loved us so much he didn't leave one thing out. Whether it's your marriage, your healing, your, your, some people think this is only a book of, of principles on how to be saved. No, no. These are, there are principles here that affect every part of your life. I'm, I'm serious. You get in alignment with this book, your whole life is going to be blessed. On the other hand, if there's something hurting in your life, this book has the answer. And we have looked at Mark 9, where this father that was so distraught has brought his son who is possessed of a demonic spirit that in turn has caused this boy to be afflicted with a suicidal attitude. This spirit is trying to kill this boy 
And he says, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cast the spirit out. If you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus said, if I can, <laughs> like, just watch and see. All things are possible to them that believe. And the man plaintively wailed in a manner that I can relate to and said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. There are a couple of points I would like to, to, point, uh, to make about that. The fact that he was asking the Lord to help him with his unbelief meant he couldn't help himself. He wouldn't be asking for the Lord to help him if he could have fixed it on his own. You need to know that religion always says two words, try harder. That's what religion says. God always says one word, surrender. Religion says if you try harder, you can get it together. And how many of you have ever had a situation you couldn't fix no matter how hard you tried? If you haven't lived long enough to have been there, hang around just a little while. Because we live in a fallen world and someday you're going to encounter some problems and you're going to need help. Because you won't be able to try harder and fix it. How many of you know of somebody that's tried harder but couldn't fix their marriage? Tried harder but couldn't get off drugs? Tried harder but couldn't fix their finances? Religion always says try harder. God says just surrender. Surrender in faith and embrace me and follow my principles. I'll fix it for you. But you need to know this. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7 verse 18 and 19 about trying harder. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells for... To will is present with me. I've got the, I want to do right. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Just like you can't fix what's broken in your life in terms of things that have crept into your life, you need God's help. You need God's help to have faith. Faith is a gift from God. Just like you can't say, I'm going to try harder and get over this problem, you can't say, I'm going to try harder and believe. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because so many people on the faith, the, sub, the matter and the subject of faith are strapped with guilt. If you've ever had a sick child, and I've met many parents, all of us that have children have had sick children, but I've met parents who's had children that were afflicted with incurable disease. Trust me when I tell you, they go through hell. Because they're strapped with this guilt that if I can only believe more, God will heal my child. And the enemy beats them up by saying, it's your lack of faith that's the reason your child is not getting healed. And I know people that struggle with issues like this. It was a, a, well, I need not tell you that, but I've seen it in every single level. And Paul says, that the good I try to do, I can't do. There's nothing in my flesh that enables me to do the right thing. You hear, hear me, this may be the most important thing that you will hear me say in a long time. There is no single element of living for God that you can do without His help. You need His empowerment to be able to serve Him. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Now, if you can fix it by yourself, I'd like to shake your hand after this service. Because I've seen times I could not fix it. Amen. And so, this is what Paul concludes by saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 57. Thanks be to God, 
who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you get the victory? Trying harder? No. You get the victory through Jesus Christ. So this is what you need to understand. Surrendering requires that we know the person we're surrendering to. You can't trust in somebody, someone that you don't have a relationship with. You can only fully trust someone after you become closely enough acquainted with them to see that they're worthy of your trust. Can I hear an amen to that? Anyway, let me be, if that sounds cynical, let me be real. If you got all your money that you own in the world sitting on the table and your neighbors come over and you get a call to go down to the grocery store, are you going to leave your money sitting on the table for them to watch while you're gone? Uh-uh. You, some of you said, I won't even do that with my own family. What are you talking about, neighbors? Okay, now we're getting down to where we live, right? Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to give us insight today that we can live for you and that we can turn doubts into faith. Empower us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This man cried out and said, Help me with my unbelief. I can't fix it by myself. And so we find out that our world has been affected and the Christian community has been affected without perhaps even really understanding that we have. The slightest element of doubt in your mind makes you hesitate about fully committing yourself. I'll give you an example. Ask anyone who's ever worked as a fireman if someone is trapped in a multi-story building that is on fire and they put out a safety net below, that person has the option of leaping to be rescued by landing in that safety net. On many occasions, firemen will tell you this, those that have been in these situations, many occasions, people, because they find it hard to trust someone they don't know, will go back into the building and perish rather than leap to safety. It's happened time and time again. For us to be able to move forward in faith, we have to be able to trust God. The absence of faith makes us draw back just like the person draws back from the window. And the building is on fire. We draw back in our commitment. I personally think that over the last number of years, the reason that Christians have become a little lackadaisical in their commitment is because there have been things that have made us question our faith, such as all of these people saying there is no God, the teaching of evolution. And this is why I'm addressing the hard questions in this series if you're joining us for the first time. I've dealt with, is God real? Is there really a God? Last couple of weeks, I've talked about evolution or creation, which is the truth. You're saying, why deal with that in church? I'm dealing with it simply because of the fact that I know that 1% of doubt, the slightest nagging question in your mind not addressed makes you draw back from the window and you fail to fully commit. You say, I'm fully committed. You don't believe that what I'm talking about is really going on? Watch church services on a Sunday morning when it's raining. And watch the same rain continue on Monday. Ooh, now we're getting real. Uh-huh. Whole lot of difference. It's because you prioritize what you perceive to be most important. If you believe the Word of God without question then you understand there are some things that God has said that are extremely important. But now, if I've been able, as the enemy, not to attack you frontally and say, stop going to church. I'm not going to come out and assault you face to face. 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to slip in the back door and begin to make you have questions about some of the teachings of the Bible. I know I can't stop you from going to church. You're too committed to do that. But I can make you lessen the intensity of your commitment. And that amounts to the same thing. Because then we become an isolated community that doesn't live and practice what we have said is necessary all along, which is then why there creeps into our lives duplicity. We say one thing and do another. Like the old fellow I told you about in Kentucky. No offense to anyone here from Kentucky. I just heard the guy was from Kentucky. Okay? Way up in the hills. Brother Brown was the most committed and vocal Christian in the whole community up in that Kentucky holler. Holler's a little valley between mountains or hills. And one day, to the shock and amazement of everyone, Brother Brown who was always saying, have faith in God. Just believe, brother. Just pray. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He was arrested stealing chickens and caught red-handed in the act. He could not deny it. When he was held before the judge, the judge adjusted his spectacles, read the report, looked out, and said, Brother Brown, you are the most outspoken Christian in this community. How is it that you have been caught red-handed stealing chickens with no way to deny it. You were caught in the very act. And Brother Brown looked up and said, well, your honor is like this. All the time my, my, my body was stealing those chickens, my spirit was praising the Lord. <laughs> Judge hammered his gavel down and said, in that case, give his body 30 days, let his spirit go free. <laughs> Amen. He just lost his witness, right? This is why Christians have not become as effective as they need to be. And without, you know, uh, criticizing Democrats or Republicans, did you see just this week the fiasco about them in the Democratic Convention wanting to put God back in their platform? I couldn't believe that over 50, uh, at least 50% of the people were saying no. They said it was a two-thirds majority to say yes, but if you watched it, it wasn't. If he asked, how can we reach a place in America where Christians have lost our savor as the salt of the earth? It's because there have been questions interjected in our mind that have made us reticent to stand on faith. We back away from the window rather than jumping into the net. And so in this series, I've talked to you about the fact there is no proof at all, not one single Proof that remains in the fossil record or that exists in the fossil record to support the theory of evolution. And contrary to that, the more they get into such things as nanobiology uh, 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 and, and molecular structure, the more they discover that it would be impossible. And all of those things they hailed and presented and trotted out and said were evidences of evolution, they've now quietly retracted all of those. They, you heard the trumpeting news of their discoveries, but you didn't hear the very quiet retractions where they admit they made mistakes. What has been the bottom line, the result of the teaching of this theory? I want to deal with some of the problems it's caused. Number one, there are, as it were, the moral problems caused by evolution. The moral problems. You see, if as they declare, we are all the result of genetic mutation that occurred that is called evolution. And we are not here 
divinely created by God, guess what? There is no longer any foundation for a standardized morality. None. You can no longer say what's right or wrong because we are all protoplasm washed up on a beach that got struck by lightning that grew a tadpole who climbed out of the protoplasmic stew and grew legs and arms and lost a tail and eventually became a human being. If we are all animals, there is no standardized foundation for morality. Why? Because the law of every animal is survival of the fittest, kill or be killed, only the strong survive. Which is why you have watched a decline in the moral structure of not only America but the world as this, this teaching has taken hold. In America, for example, and I don't want to make anybody that's ever made the mistake of, of doing this feel like I'm judging them or beating them up because many people bought into this because they were told it's okay. But in America since 1973, Roe versus Wade, there have been 54 and one-half million abortions. That's one out of every six Americans that exist right now. That's how big a number it is. If Osama bin Laden killed one out of six Americans, we would be at war. We would scour the earth. Oh, you, you get Mo, you don't even know what would be going on right now. Waterboarding? <laughs> there would be nobody opposing it if one out of six Americans was killed, but yet that's what's happened in abortion. What's even worse is that in countries that are atheistic, this has been going on longer because they gave up this basic standardized morality years before. Years before. There have been more abortions than that in the Soviet Union. China, which is an atheistic nation, presently practices a policy limiting the number of children, have, uh, children that a family can have. And there have been multiplied millions more abortions in China. So much so that if the blood of one man cried out from the ground when Abel was killed by Cain, how much more is the noise and the cry of those who have lost their lives, the innocents that never had a chance to be born, crying out to God. And not only has that been the case here, but you have to ask then what is the next step? Where is it going? It's extremely unwise to make a decision without asking yourself the implications of that decision. You see, most people, they tell us in psychology, think two to three steps ahead if they think that far at all. You can't really succeed unless you think seven or eight steps ahead. Which means you not only have to think what's the next step, but what's the impact of that step. And the, that's where most people stop right there. And if you get to the what's the impact of the impact of the step. But if you really want to be wise and plan your life effectively, think seven to eight steps ahead. Most folk never learn to do that. And the difference in those who do and those who don't is that some of us have money. Some of us have, uh, not me, but some of, among us are really well off. They made decisions based upon thinking through the process. Most of us think from hand to mouth, Friday to Friday. And that's why we're in that shape that we are in. So back up now and let's look at the ramifications of taking a policy or believing a, as a doctrine a message that eradicates a standardized platform of morality. If we embrace abortion, the next logical step is to embrace, euthan, uh, embrace euthanasia which is the killing 
of people that are the undesirables or the weak elements of society or the sick or the diseased elements of society. After all, isn't that what happens in the animal kingdom? In Africa, each morning in Africa, a lion wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the slowest gazelle or it will starve. Each morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed and eaten. In Africa, it matters not whether you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. (laughs) That's the old African proverb. Why? Because the weak don't make it. The weak don't survive. And that's what's going on in Europe and other places right now. Euthanasia is already an accepted practice in many parts of our world. Do you want to grow old and somebody decide for you that you're taking up space unnecessarily and using resources that really ought to be put somewhere else? The next step after that is the one that is really getting scary now. Because what about the so-called undesirable elements within our society If we can get rid of unborn children, if we can get rid of the weak and the elderly because of resources, what about the so-called undesirable persons who live among us? And remember that undesirables are often classified or defined as simply being different. Now, I will say this. The implications in terms of race management are scary. And being a bona fide kajé, That's Cajun for those of you that have never been to Louisiana. I am a member of a minority. I'm serious. And part American Indian. Who is to say we don't need Cajuns anymore? Uh Uh-huh. You say that would never happen. Oh, really? Have you already forgotten World War II and what happened to Hitler and the Jews? Are you not aware of what's going on in the Sudan right now while we are here? Do you not know what happened in Rwanda just 18 years ago? I'm not talking about theory or hypotheses. I'm talking about what's happening in our world. Did you forget Cambodia and the Khmer Rouge? Oh, no. The implications of living in a world without a standardized morality are frightening. But if we are... Just animals, we have no right to expect that there will be a standardized morality. And then on top of that, there are the sociological problems that are created by embracing something such as the idea, I was not divinely created, I evolved. What I mean by sociological problems. I mean, have you noticed that one of the greatest problems that exists that people face today is this, this queasy, aimless sense Of not having any self-worth? Oh, come on. I mean, Dr. Drew, Dr. Phil, Oprah. You know, you turn on the TV and they've got all these programs to talk about how to make you feel better about yourself. You know why they need to tell you to feel better about yourself? Because when they took away God, we lost the sense of having been divinely created and having a purpose bigger than ourselves. You see, the implications of this are that if you were not divinely created and you just evolved, you have no special reason being here. And this this quite anonymity and frustration that's gnawing on the inside of so many people is bleeding over and producing so many different problems in marriages and homes and stress and health and, 
and all kind of other things that it's frightening. Yes, it is. People, instead of looking to God for their self-worth, are now looking to their husband or their wife and saying, come on, you're not making me feel like I'm, I'm, I'm worth what I need here. And if I can change my husband, husband or my wife, I, I'll do better in life. Oh, no, you won't. Because you're trying to make somebody that's human feel a part of your life that only God was designed to ever feel. Amen. And people do all kind of things. Eric Burney, the psychotherapist, wrote a book years ago entitled Games People Play. You ever read that? It's fascinating. It's about transactional analysis, the ability to look at situations in your life and find out what contribute to them. And there are all kinds of, of defense mechanisms that people put together in their life. They're not getting enough value. You know what they'll do? They'll create a scenario in their mind and come to believe it is truth that they can suddenly have value. And what did we learn to teach our kids? We learned as parents to teach them to learn or to receive value from the positives rather than the negatives. And so how many times have you been told, don't reward negative behavior? Well, what happens is in life, people have to do negatives to get noticed because they don't have any sense of self-worth. And so what happens is this frustration bleeds up and you got a guy walking into a Sikh temple in Oak Creek, Wisconsin and shooting folks down with a rifle. Or you have teenagers, what's this? This is the most technologically advanced era that man has ever lived. Baby, we put a spaceship on Mars the other day. Mars. I'm not talking about the moon. I'm talking about the red planet now. We have technology that never existed when I was a child. And the rate at which it is multiplying and exploding is incredible. I mean, like I'm preaching, I hold this up like it's a Bible. Actually, it's many Bibles. This is an iPad. But I've got all of my Bibles. I mean, kids today do not lack opportunity. They lack hope. There has never been a generation that has had a greater opportunity than the one that lives right now. But there's never been a generation more convinced that there's no hope than the one that lives right now. And so teen suicides is through the roof and drug addiction and all of this other stuff. Why? Because people have no sense of value anymore. Why don't they have value? Because they lost sight of the fact before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet into the nations. They no longer feel a sense of purpose or purpose that's bigger than they are. And so you have kids going into Columbine saying, I'm angry and I'm mad. I'm going to show the world I'm somebody. And all these killings in schools and gangs and everything else. There would have been none of that if people had a sense of identity. You say, are they related? You better believe these problems are related. There's a cause-effect relationship here. And we need to realize that buying into this, this thing, I've given you already scientific proof why you should never embrace this, this demonic theory of evolution, but... You look at the other problems, as I said, the moral problems and sociological problems and the hell it's caused in the world we live in. Why would anybody with any sanity embrace a thought or an ideology that will produce these kind of problems and then move on? What about the spiritual problems that are brought about by believing in evolution? You say spiritual problems, you better believe it. As I said, life can be difficult. I'm not here to name man, but I'm going to say it again. Life can be difficult. You're either not living in the same world I'm living in or you just, you've been through so much you don't want to admit it right now. 
I'm going to say it the third time. Life can be difficult. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, oh, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You live in this world. It's a fallen world ruled by a fallen Lord. And contrary to what either the Republicans or the Democrats are going to tell you between now and November, this is not heaven. Amen. You say, don't you talk about politics. We don't pray our our father which art in Washington, D.C. And I'm going to just keep things balanced here. I'm not going to tell you to vote for it. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to bring politics into it. But don't you think there's a human utopia that can be found in a world that's fallen, ruled by a fallen Lord? Uh Uh-uh, it's not going to happen. Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Jesus said, in this world ye shall have tribulation, but in me you shall have peace. Amen. The problem is, what do you do in today's world if you've taken Jesus away from people? I'm going to be like the old Gusbusters song. Who are you going to call? You take Jesus away, who are you going to call? Oprah? Dr. Phil? I'm preaching better than some of you responding right now. You hear what I'm saying? And that's the reason we're in trouble right now. They have stripped hope from the world. And people have problems and they need help from a source that's bigger than they are. The psalmist said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and made the earth. You take him away. Who are they going to turn to? They have no one to turn to in their time of misery. But that's not even the greatest of the spiritual problems that teaching this theory produces. No, it's not. It's like this. If I believe in God and serve Him and die and there is no God, what have I lost? But if you don't believe in God and don't serve Him and you die and find out there is one, you're in big trouble, baby. You hear what I'm saying? That's the problem, spiritual problems that are created. On the other hand, it's hard to fully reject or resolve the matter, reject the the negative information about about creation where they say there is no creation and accept this, this idolatrous theory of evolution. It's hard to completely do that until you have an alternate program you can present because people are asking questions like, What about these dinosaur remains and all of that? And I've been to the Smithsonian. I have too. You see all of that. You know? And what people are looking for is reasonable answers to some of the problems that we've had. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. Then, comma, Comma represents space, time. We don't know how much. Even in speaking language where there is a comma, you're supposed to pause. You're reading a book, John Grisham novel, you come to a comma, it means pause momentarily. That completes one thought, now another thought. 
is being added to this one, even though it's within the same sentence, okay? Now watch this. So what happened in the comma? Isaiah 14, verses 12 through, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Isaiah 45, verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. Wait a minute, what did Genesis say? It was without form, yet here it says God formed it. And it says he made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord and there is none else. He formed it, made it not in vain. What does the word vain mean? Hebrew, put it up on the screen. There it is. The Hebrew word comes from an unused root word meaning to lie waste, a desolation that is a desert Figuratively, a worthless thing, adverbially, in vain, confusion, empty place, without form, nothing. God said, I did not make the earth in vain or without form or empty. Whoa. Here's the problem. I don't know what God created in that comma. And the Bible doesn't tell us everything. Hello, somebody. Now, I hear all these other folks say, they can say whatever they want to. They were not there. I wasn't either. But I'll take the word of the one who was. And he said, I did not create it empty or in vain or void. I personally believe that's when dinosaurs lived on the earth. Well, what happened to the dinosaurs? Okay, watch this. Luke 10 and 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Wait a minute. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. But he failed. And Jesus said he, he saw him fall as lightning. Revelation 12, 7 and 9. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Most people think the book of Revelation is only about the future. It isn't. Read the first chapter. I will show you things which are and which shall be. Things that have already happened and what's coming. That's what God, Jesus told John. And we read in Revelation that there was a war. Satan was cast out. What happened when they fell to the earth? I'll tell you what happened. Science says somewhere in the earliest forms of history, there was what is called an extinction event. And nearly all life was wiped out on this planet. They say it was either an asteroid that struck the earth and annihilated most of life, or they said it could have been the explosion of the Indonesian volcano Krakatau. Well, I wasn't there. But I can believe something fell from the heavens because I read it in my Bible that Satan was cast down 
And when he hit this earth, it was such a cataclysmic event. It wiped out nearly all life on this planet. That's why you still see fossilized remains. And in the aftermath, God comes and reaches into the dust and creates man from the dust of the ground. It's perfectly reasonable. You say, but does that mean all life was extinct before man? No. They have now begun to find fossilized animal remains or proof in the fossil record of both dinosaurs and humans at the same time. And I'll look, look, put it up on the screen. This is the delt print from right here in Texas. Now, I will tell you that this print right here, people have tried to criticize it by lumping it into some of the others that we know were carved. But this one has been examined by spiral tomography, CT scan. And they say that this one, when you look at where the weight of the dinosaur. And notice one thing. Notice the human footprint was first and the dinosaur on top of it. If it had been the dinosaur and then the human, we might have a problem, Houston. But we don't. They have examined it and where the weight of the animal and the human are, the mud, that shale, that hardened, that's, that's a form of rock that is formed by the, by the hardening of mud into rock over the years and the rock is called shale. And in examining it, guess where it is the densest? At the gravity points where the footprints of the human and the animal have pressed against the earth. You can't fake that. You can't make it more dense. You can carve it, but the carving will be the, the same density throughout. But this something was standing there. And that scares scientists. A couple of weeks ago, I showed you this one. Put it up there, if you would, please. About the, the, uh, the uh, yeah, there it is. Evidence of coexisting human and dinosaurs found. This is from Beijing, a communist nation that doesn't believe in God. China, a team of Chinese and American scientists have discovered the world's only existence of coexisting human beings and dinosaur tracks. Put, it, put, put the next one up there, if you would, please. This is the YouTube announcement. According to a paper published by the Geological Bulletin of China. Now put the YouTube up. Actual news announcement. Chinese news Scientists news. believe they have found the first evidence that dinosaur tracks influence culture in southwest China. The findings were published in the latest issue of the Geological Bulletin of China. Three scientists from China and the United States claim to have found documentable evidence that humans and dinosaur tracks coexisted in a remote county in southwest China's Chongqing city. Details of the findings that's, that's were published. That, a, did you hear that? Tracks of humans and dinosaurs together. And as I said, they were running. <laughs> you hear what I'm talking about? Now, you say, what happened to the dinosaurs? I'll tell you what happened. Noah entered the ark and there was a flood. Come on, somebody help me out right now. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. You say, I can't believe that. It's a whole lot more plausible than the explanation some are giving for these things. The Turkmenian Plateau in Turkmenistan, a former part of the Soviet Union, they have found hundreds of human and dinosaur tracks together. And you know what they're saying? Because once again, that part of the world 
was Russian and communist and a part of the Soviet Union and they didn't believe in God. This is their explanation. Extraterrestrials. <laughs> E.T. Okay? I just hold reservation. Uh, I just keep my, reserva- uh, my, my, my thoughts to myself on that until they dig up a spaceship, if you don't mind. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to believe the Word of God. Somebody in the building needs to say hallelujah right now. Amen. And so we find, we're finding proof that is the opposite of what they thought they would have. And you know what really makes this, this crazy? It's what Richard Dawkins, I keep quoting him because he's been the most vociferous against the Christian community and has become like the spokesperson for the atheistic community. This is what Richard Dawkins said in his book, the blind watchmaker, put it up there if you don't mind, our, that if they find any evidence of humans and dinosaurs living together, our whole modern theory of evolution would be utterly destroyed. He wrote that in 1986. Poor Richard should have waited a few years. Amen. And not only that, he went to say this in, a, in another journal, in the Free Inquiry, uh, volume five, 21, Number four, and on that date, he said it would blow the theory of evolution out of the water. Guess what I just did? (laughs) Little old me, all by my lonesome, I just blew the theory of evolution right out of the water. (laughs) Amen. You can believe the Word of God. Why am I teaching this, like I said? Because if it's raining outside, you'll go to your job, but you won't come to worship. It's affected people's tithing. It's affected their commitment. It's affected the life they live. Their worship. This isn't important anymore because I have some reservations about whether everything in the Bible is true. Well, guess what? I'm starting a series next week on why you can believe the Bible is the word of Almighty God. And I'm going to show you that it is God that inspired the Bible. Let go of the boat. That's what you need to do. Let go of the boat, and I'm concluding right now. Amen. Life application points. You need to, first of all, know that you were created by a loving God, and secondly, you need to know that you have a purpose in life and an incredible destiny that was foreordained by God himself. And thirdly, you need to know that God is the one who created you, that the God who created you loves you more than you could ever possibly know. And number four, you need to serve that you're created with all of your heart and honor him as you live the life he gives you. And number five, never, 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 never let anyone cause you to doubt this or claim there is proof that we are here by accident. We are not. We are here by grand design of a loving creator. Can somebody in the building give you some praise? Stand with me across the building. Amen. I want you to come and pray with me. Everybody here, I want you to join me right now. Would you come if you don't mind? Please. I want to pray for you because you need faith in your life. Everything that is of any value in the kingdom is accessed by faith. And that's why you need to guard your faith. This is what the the writer said. That we should earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints I'm not talking about going back to that old hard judgmental thing you know bless God you don't look like I do or part your hair the way I part mine you're not a Christian that's not what I'm talking about 
But I am talking about living every day of your life in an awareness that you are in the presence of a loving God and that God is available. And when your back is against the wall, as the songwriter, was it Ken, Graham Kendricks that wrote that song? He's as close as the mention of his name. Is that who wrote that, James? One of those guys, it's years ago. He's as close as the mention of his name. Don't you let anybody rob you of that. Because if you do, everything may be going well right now when you make your decision to not necessarily believe that prayer changes things. But trust me, you're going to someday in the course of your life have your back against the wall and you're going to need to believe in prayer. And when that time comes, if you've let somebody steal your faith during a good season in your life, when that difficult season comes along, you're going to wish that you hadn't. Would you bow your heads with me and I pray, Father, I pray right now for every one of these precious dear men and women of God and children in this building and our children throughout the, the premises and the Sunday school classes and children's worship areas. And Lord, I pray for this people that is my family that you will teach us to trust you explicitly and totally and completely. We don't need to hold back in our faith and have reservations or questions, but that we can let go and believe you if your word said it. Every time a critic has ever stood up and, and a skeptic has ever claimed that the Bible has been incorrect, they've always been proven wrong, but your word has not one time ever been proven to be incorrect. You're the God that never changes. And Lord, you do, as we sang earlier, reign in glory, and we were created to give you worship.